the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and with Chris, who else could it be? We're back at the Paracast, considering a fascinating episode we had last week with the ever-politically correct and super-smooth Jan Harzan. He's a smooth talker, isn't he? Well, you know, Jan is Jan. He's uh, he's a really sweet guy. Uh, you know, I I found him uh, quite you know engaging. Uh, he he is uh, you know he's I think somebody mentioned on the forums that he missed his calling. He should have been a politician, and I guess he's finally found a political sort of uh, form and venue uh, to be smooth and uh, engaging and politically correct. I, I thought he did a good job. I found his uh, account of his childhood's you know, encounter with his brother, uh, really fascinating. I'm still scratching my head over it, but, um, you know, I can see why someone as high powered as him would have a lifelong interest in the subject matter. If, you know, something like that occurred, uh, it was quite fascinating to me. Isn't it interesting? We can go to the second part of the interview in a moment, but isn't it interesting how many people get interested in UFOs and other subjects because they have some kind of unusual encounter? when they are between five and ten years of age. Yeah, well, I'm one of them, so I I definitely know what you're saying on that one. (laughs) With me, it wasn't so much the encounter, which I never had. It is the fact that my late brother left a copy of one of Major Keogh's books on his coffee table. This is back in his apartment on Carroll Street in Brooklyn. I can't believe I remember that. And he was at work. My mom and I went to visit his home, and I saw the book, and I was intrigued. And I asked his wife, can I borrow that? And she said, go ahead. Now, at no time did he ever leave a book for me to look at, just this one time. And I was hooked. And that's how it all started. Let's look at the second part, the other shoe dropping with Jan Harzan, politically correct. So I asked him, because listeners were concerned, what about having people like Stephen Greer as a featured speaker at the MUFON annual conference? Do you really think that sets forth a good public position for MUFON? Because you have to be politically correct. You want to attract people who aren't just part of the field, but outsiders who might be interested in UFOs. And there's, by the way, a new survey had it that 48% of the people believe in UFOs and possible ET visitors. So that's the latest survey. All right. Now, he kind of ignored all the baggage that Greer has and says, well, he's done some good work. I just think he's overlooking the obvious. Yeah. Yeah, that was what I know. We, we did press him a little on that. And, and you know, I think, Jan, as I mentioned, I think in, in the way I formulated the question, I, I think I gave him an out by saying, I know you're trying to get butts in the seats and stuff. And uh, Greer does have a certain amount of appeal to a lot of uninformed sort of want to believe types out there. And and it was similar with the 2011 UFO Congress where Greer was there and Stan Romanek and other people who have, who have really put a lot of effort and energy into um, self-promotion, getting the word out about their particular uh, take on the subject and their, um, you know, kind of ego, I think, uh, driven uh, rationale for you know, what they believe and what they propound to their audience. And, and, and that does have a tremendous amount of appeal out there to people that have been educated by the media 
and by self promoters. Uh, it, it to me, it, it's you can't. You've got to draw a line somewhere, and um, I think that drawing the line and not having someone like a Greer at your conference, I think, is you know, it, it's it's a hard one uh, for people like Harzan and, and others to, to make that determination. Uh, you know. Y- Sure, Greer has done a lot of good work, but but that was you know ten fifteen years ago. Uh, we're much further down the uh, down the river now, and you know I, I think the, the the negatives vastly outweigh the positives uh, when it comes to people like Greer, Sean David Morton, another big draw at conferences uh, still, uh, and and it baffles me that people are able to overlook these glaring. Uh, inconsistencies, uh, problems, uh, potential problems uh, surrounding the issue of integrity, and and it's unfortunate that he he's you know I think he's in a position of of really trying to get people to uh, shell out the bucks and attend the conference so that they can uh, continue. And I think the whole MUFON model is outmoded, and they're going to have to come up with a way to to integrate uh, themselves into social media and and attract a younger more vibrant, uh, creative, you know, audience out there and membership. It's, it's, I think we're at a real critical point in the field of ufology and, and for groups like, uh, the UFO Congress and, you know, MUFON and other conferences to have these questionable characters up there, I think is doing themselves a disservice and they're, they're helping sink this field further and further. And the thing is, you have to look at the demographic here. What is Dr. Greer's demographic? I don't think it's the younger people. No, not at all. I don't think he gets the 25 to 49 age bracket. I don't think those people care about Stephen Greer or about what he did 20 years ago. No. Well, it's, you know, and and now with Art Bell coming back on the air on XM radio, of course, the the gruesome foursome that he has lined up for his first week of of broadcast, the same cast of characters, Greer, Hoagland, Dames, uh, you know, it's it's really it's sad, and uh, I, I think it's people are trying to, you know, these shows and these conference organizers. I think that they're stuck in a, in a in like chipmunks in the the you know the little revolving wheel in the cage. I think they're just spinning their wheels and digging themselves deeper and deeper. And I asked them a very key question. I say, okay, Mufon's been around since the late 1960s. What progress have you made? And I really don't think I ever got a satisfactory answer because no. the answer is they haven't. Yeah. There is no progress. And if you get a few more bodies in a conference by having Stephen Greer or Paula Harris there, I don't think that helps the cause. I don't no, think I, that no, attracts the kind of people you want. Because when you have people like that and people realize that these people have problems with the things they say, like Paula Harris will tell you that Billy Meyer is the real deal. Okay, when you have people like that getting in there and representing the field, these people are representing UFO field. The people who come there, unless they're engaged in this activity, they don't know from who these people are. No. They have no idea about the baggage, or they may look up, Stephen Greer later and say, oh, this guy's doing some wacko things. Maybe everybody involved in the UFO field is doing some wacko things. Therefore, why should we bother with them? Because they're doing wacko things. 
Exactly. And it's pushing uh, academia, it's pushing the scientific community further and further away from the real core of ufology, which I, I would consider to be more grounded, scientific, healthily skeptical, and attempting to, to pull the, the, the field forward and, and do, you know, and do real good, grounded, hard data research. And, and because of these grandstanders out there uh, who are pontificating these, you know, uncorroborated uh, stories, reports, and opinions, it just has the, the obvious effect of driving away uh, serious scientific interest in, in, in the public arena in these subjects. We know behind the scenes that there's undoubtedly, as we'll find out today you know, with our with our guests, uh, there is a lot of interest behind the scenes that is uh, below the public radar. But in terms of trying to attract scientists and academics uh, to the field uh, publicly, it's it's a death knell for the careers because of the of this just fuzzy logic and, and ungrounded, uncorroborated sort of thinking. I I just have problems with it. Today on the Paracast, we'll be looking at The Real Area 51, which is a book subtitled The Secret History of Wright-Patterson. That's Dayton, Ohio. That's not near Art Bell's territory in Nevada. The book's written by Thomas Carey and Donald Schmidt. Donald Schmidt will be joining us in the Paracast to talk about the book. Lots more to come. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to A2Hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two. A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Hi, this is Eric Hamburg with Midas Resources Gold and Silver. Ever wonder why billionaires like Warren Buffett, John Paulson are dumping their shares of U.S. company stocks? Do they know something we don't? No investor wants to own stocks with falling profit margins and shrinking dividends. Is it possible a 1987-style market crash is coming? Are these investors aware of a massive correction of up to 90%? Call me, Eric Hamburg, at 800-686-2237, extension 120, and find out why gold and silver are the only true safe haven. With event-driven risks, such as volatility in the financial market and conflict in Syria and the Middle East, the sky is the limit for gold and silver. That's Eric Hamburg, 800 686-2237, extension 120, and I'll send you a, a brochure explaining why gold and silver are the only way to preserve your purchasing power. As a currency's value crumbles and gold being priced in dollars, metal's value will skyrocket. Again, that's Eric Hamburg, Midas Resources, 800-686-2237, extension 120. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? 
How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE, 855-340-7283. Every time you eat a cooked food, your body responds by producing an increase in circulating white blood cells. This happens because nature designed us to eat food that is undamaged at the molecular level. When we heat food to normal cooking temperatures, we change the shape of the molecules into shapes the body cannot use. The body now looks at them as toxins and allergens. In an effort to protect itself from this irritant, the body intelligently increases the amount of circulating white blood cells to act as garbage collectors. The white blood cells gobble up all the unusable damaged food particles to neutralize their cell-damaging properties. This puts stress on your organs of elimination, and your body is subject to cell damage and inflammation. If you'd like to start experiencing the benefits of undamaged protein in your diet, give One World Way a try. It is a truly undamaged protein powder that will thrill your tastes and every cell of your body. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWhey.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We're going to look inside the real Area 51 as opposed to what? The fake Area 51? We'll find out what that means. We have Donald Schmidt. He's co-author of Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson. And he wrote that book with Thomas Carey. Now, I notice in our schedule of shows for the Paracast, the last time you were on, Don Schmidt, it was six years ago. It feels... And that would have been for Witness to Roswell, our That's right. last best-selling book, right? Okay. So it's a bestseller, is it? Yes, and the revised edition was also a bestseller. In fact, the, the, the first one, 2007, was the number one selling UFO book in the world for 2007 through 2008. So, so much for Roswell being passe, I guess. It's the kind of thing you can never give up talking about. I mean, we've tried. Literally speaking, we're not going to have another Roswell show. And we tell our listeners, and in our forums at forum.theparacast.com, they say, we don't want to hear about Roswell anymore. Don't do the Roswell thing. Okay, we won't. Until Kevin Randall's back on or someone's back on. We've also covered, of course, in recent months, Aztec. We had Scott Ramsey on the show. We had Scott Ramsey and Kevin Randall debating one another. That's right. I recall. I heard that. I listened. Yes. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you, before we progress with the real Area 51, what's your take on Aztec? I am often asked that. In fact, I did an interview in Arizona Oh, when um, Wendell Stevens was still alive because uh, they were doing some work on the case, even pre-Ramsey as far as their release of any information. And I just had to be quite frank in, in stating that 
we had a number of colleagues through the years that had passed through Aztec, had tried to come up with some even secondhand information, and it always came up wanting. But if I accept Roswell, if I accept that anything of an unearthly nature ever crashed, ever took place, I do have to remain objective, have to remain open-minded to other possibilities. I just can't discount and then stand up and say, but Roswell happened, but I just... I, I disavow any other such possibilities. So I will at least remain honest in that position. I haven't looked into it. Uh, God knows we're, we're busier than ever with Roswell. And I may actually come up with a conclusion should I spend the time looking into it. I know Kevin has. And I know he also feels that he didn't come as prepared to the debate as he should have. And I would, I would be in the, the exact same boat right now, that I'm far from qualified to voice an opinion. And, and opinions come a dime a dozen. Well, the thing I think that bothered me and Chris and Kevin is that the paper trail does not exist prior to that one the, book by Frank Scully. The, the Scully book, yes, that's correct. The Scully book set the case for Aztec, and that was the beginning of everything, and if you go into Aztec, you don't find the prehistory. It's not there. And you think it's a small town. And my impression of small-town America, and I'm from Brooklyn, so that's not quite the small town, but my impression is that in small-town America, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody knows everybody. Everything that goes on, they know about. They know about the divorces. They know who's cheating on one another. They know about all the happy events. They know about the sad events. And if a UFO crashes in their backyard or a few miles away, they know about it. You are absolutely correct. I do live in a small town. It's, it's grown since my childhood, but um, it's one of the things that really keeps you on your toes for the fact that uh, if you so much as come home late at night on your wife, the whole street knows about it. <laughs> You're not telling us you know, anything here, are you? Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, I always, I always. Boy, throw did you that hear out. how defensive he just got? <laughs> I always throw that out. You know, in yeah, but it's true. It's true. I, Don, Chris here. I, I absolutely agree. I was in a a small Colorado town for 13 years. When I arrived, there were 155 people there, and uh, I'm sorry if if something had crashed outside of town, everybody would have known about it, and it would have created this huge kind of, uh, you know, storied uh, piece of history in the town. I mean, this this is, this is this would be big news. And I, I just, you know, that's one of the things that I really have a problem with Aztec. I've been through Aztec. I, and I I'm would agree. with the whole area yes. there. And I haven't even bothered to as often as I've been. And we're talking now over 100 times I've been to New Mexico in the past 25 years. I've never even bothered passing through the town because I, I do agree with you that something of that – a scale of operation. I don't care if it was the military retrieving a downed aircraft. The whole town would have known about it. I'll cite the example of uh, the, the, the Southern Capitan Mountains west of Corona, which um, is the nearest township to the debris field uh, from Roswell. And there was a small, a small plane crash. And the whole area for probably 50 square miles was, you know, venturing up into those foothills just to pick up a souvenir, pick up anything, because word got out. So that is the most damning argument. I, I do agree. 
as far as Aztec or any such case of that nature. I had the same situation with Kingman. I've been to Kingman, Arizona. Right. We did a show on Kingman, I don't know, a year or two back, and I don't think I was really convinced about anything there. And I've been there. I, I uh, had the, uh, the local newspaper, you know, even post a small little blurb that if anybody had any information in regards to anything dating back to the early 50s, 53, supposedly, when this all went down, and not so much as um, a third-hand uncle who heard of anything. You know, White Sands Proving Grounds, and I think it's one of the things that stimulated the, 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 the uh, legend, the myth that something even happened out in the plains of San Augustine of New Mexico, west of Socorro, that whole area, Magdalena and so on. And there had been a plane crash out there in 1945. Two years, supposedly, before Barney Barnett talked about stumbling upon, you know, this down craft and some bodies. And when we actually talked to his, his former boss, Fleck Danley, and he stated, he told us that, well, he, Barney didn't start talking about this until around 1950. And he never gave us a time period. He just said that it happened out on the flats. Well, the plains of San Augustine. There are a lot of areas through the southwest that are called the flats. And for every time we had a lead or a possible, you know, story or anecdote regarding something out on the flats, we came back to this airplane crash in 1945, which had you know, strewn wreckage for miles. Bodies were, were recovered, you know, hundreds of feet away. Area was cordoned off. The military secured the site. So it had all the makings of what eventually Bill Moore and Charles Burlitz and Stan Friedman would tie into 1947 with Roswell. And especially in wanting to tie in any information regarding bodies back in 1980 when Roswell came out. We'll get into more in just a moment. We have Donald Schmidt, co-author with Tom Carey of Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson, and we'll dig deep into that in a moment. You're with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. 
What if it happened? The lights go out and the power doesn't come back. Could you provide your family with the basic necessities of life? We can teach you how at the Sustainable Preparedness Expo. Sunday, September 29th at the Evergreen State Fairgrounds in Monroe, Washington. Learn about growing all your own food, herbal medicine, emergency medical and dental techniques, water well hand pumps, seed saving, emergency radio communication for beginners, and other life-saving information to provide you with the knowledge to survive in the direst of situations. There's a wide variety of vendors offering the latest preparedness products and services. Plus, visit the Longevity booth. The Sustainable Preparedness Expo is an event the entire family will enjoy. For tickets and registration info, go to sustainablepreparedness.com. Enter promo code GCN to save $3 on tickets. Don't wait to be a victim. Plan ahead with the Sustainable Preparedness Expo Sunday, September 29th at the Evergreen State Fairgrounds in Greater Seattle. Time and time again. You need to come here and help us. We need assistance. Please. Those we should be able to depend on let us down. Federal and state and local officials saying help is on the way. Well, the folks here in Bell Harbor say show me. Don't depend on the government to save you. Take action now so that you're prepared for the next disaster with MyPatriotSupply.com. Get the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Call 866-229-0927. We are hurting down here, and we need help immediately. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. An e-cig revolution is sweeping across the country. But is yours American-made? Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig is. Manufactured in Arkansas with 100% USA-sourced ingredients. And when you buy American, you support local jobs. Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig is top quality at an affordable price. The very principle that once drove the American economy. Get great taste with no ash, tar, or smoke. You'll be wondering why you didn't make the change to Vapriate e-liquid by LaSig a long time ago. LaSig.com has everything you need for beginners to the advanced vaping enthusiast with a wide variety of hardware and also imported e-liquid flavors as well. Plus, LaSig smokes the competition with fast, free, same-day shipping, real people customer service, and a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Support our country and become a vapriate at LaSig.com or call 870-525-1440, 870-525-1440. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, Donald Schmidt returns after a six-year absence. For no reason other than, I guess we didn't invite him or something. He's co-author of Inside the Real Area 51. We see we attack everybody on the Paracast, even when they're here. But seriously speaking, what really did it for me, and let me basically preface this by the fact that I like Scott Ramsey. I met him just once. We had lunch a few months back in Tempe, Arizona. He was Mm -hmm. in Arizona for business, so we went to a really nice... Middle East restaurant that Chris knows about because he once joined me at the same restaurant. Anyway, very pleasant, very sincere about what he's doing. Now, there was an article, a three-part article published over 
at Kevin Randall's blog, A Different Perspective, in February yes. of this year by yes. a former resident of Aztec, New Mexico, who was a teenager when this supposedly happened in 1948. He doesn't remember it. He no. went back to his 60th high school reunion. He's Class a guy reunion. in his mid to late right. 70s. Nobody heard anything about it. Mm -hmm. Nobody remembered anything about it. And there you go. That's the beginning and end of it there. The people there didn't know. The only evidence you can have other than a couple of people who claim to have seen something is this concrete slab. And how do you assume that the only purpose for which it could be used was to transport a spaceship? Yes, yes, that quantum leap of total assumption. Pretty much what you have also as far as with Kingman, that just because uh, there's a, a certain peak that seems to be uh, shaved off a little bit and they found some uh, remnants from some military operations, some mess kit and some cans and things. Uh, well, obviously they were out there to retrieve a flying saucer. You know, the difference, you talk about the high school reunion in Aztec. There was a rodeo within a day after the wicked thunderstorm for the July weekend, and we talked to numerous witnesses. This is before Brazel, the rancher who discovered the debris field, went waltzing into the sheriff's office in Roswell reporting this crash. Well, anyway, the day before, a couple of days before, actually, at the rodeo, they were passing pieces around. There were people who were already examining and questioning, what is this, you know, strange-looking metal? And we've talked to such people. And the same uh, would take place another year later at the Corona High School prom the next May. Roswell happening in July of 1947. So in May of 1948, there was talk from a number of the students that somebody had a piece at the prom and was passing it around, and everybody was curious as to what this stuff really was. No one could identify it. Well, Don, so, we, you know, that begs the question, what happened to these uh, souvenir pieces that were alleged to have been passed around? How come we, we've never been able to latch on to that? You would think that this would be something that would be treasured in, in a family, and, and somebody would at some point come forward and say, hey, here's one of those pieces. Well, the best example would be the rancher's own son, Bill Brazo Jr. He would work the ranch, and especially after heavy rains, he would typically ride even through that particular pasture, he found enough pieces to fill up a cigar box. In fact, one of the pieces he described, like uh, as far as silk and strand of material that he could hold a lighter up to one end and the light would emit out the opposing end. Well, he was talking fiber optics, if that would be the case back in 1947. Yes, fiber optics wouldn't come into vogue until around 1970. But the most fascinating piece that many of the witnesses have described to us as even his wife Shirley described as he would come in from the ranch and sit down to dinner each evening and as she would set down his his food he would pull out this one piece of metal from his leather chaps night after night and she would watch how no matter how he would try to cut on it with his buck knife or he would try to poke the knife through He'd hold a lighter up to it no matter what he did with it. He could always crumble it up or crease it, or he'd hand it to her, and she would do the same. And then they would lay it down, and it would just smooth right out on the surface of the table. Now, he would make the mistake. He was playing pool one night at Wade's Bar in Corona, and somebody would bring this up. You know, somebody 
ask that very question, as you just did, Chris. You know, did you ever find anything? If you did, you know, whatever became of it? And he made the mistake of admitting, as he put it, well, I found a few scraps. Well, who should be at his door the very next morning but a captain? And we identified that individual because Brazel remembered the name as Armstrong. And we were able to track down later, he became a major Emerson Armstrong who worked out of Fort Bliss. He was in charge of UFO investigation for the Southwest in the early 50s. Well, anyway, Armstrong and three NCOs, non-commissioned officers, were at Brazel's door and basically said, we know what you have and you will give it to us. And they had him escort them out to the site. They looked around a little bit, confident there was nothing else out there. And they made him swear, just as his father had, that if should, should he ever find anything else, he would immediately report it to the Air Force. Now, this was two years after the incident. His name should have been Strong Arm, not Armstrong. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, and as you guys both know, back then, especially after World War II, the, the military walked on water. Uh, patriotism was at an all-time high. Uh, it didn't take much to convince anyone that whatever the military said or requested of you, you, you obeyed. You it's responded. not like today. We don't believe the government. We don't believe the military. We don't believe the police. We don't believe anyone. No, we're cynics. We're, we don't trust anybody, and rightfully so. It's, it's a world turned upside down in that um, everyone is out for their own personal agenda. And as a result, uh, I think back then, especially those people who truly were the salt of the earth, these, these old ranchers who no one could accuse them of becoming rich or greedy or looking for fame and fortune. They basically just wanted the government to leave them alone. But if the government did come knocking at their door, Aside from thinking they were revenuers who were there to collect, you know, some extra taxes, it was a case of, yes, sir, how can I help you? And basically, how can I get you out of here as soon as possible? Hey, as soon as possible, let's go right to the book. Inside the Real Area 51, it's about Wright Patterson. Now, the first time I heard about Wright Patterson, Donald Schmidt, it was the home of Project Blue Book, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And before that, Project Grudge, and before that, Project Sign. Exactly. So this was the center of UFO investigation. But you wonder why Dayton, Ohio, and not Washington, D.C.? Well, first of all, you had two adjoining bases back in 1947. You had Wright Field and you had Patterson Field. And what was uh, strategically important back in 47 and post-World War II in general, you had T2. That was the engineering division, which would eventually become foreign technology. This is where they did all the reverse engineering of captured weaponry, armory, aircraft, and the like from the Germans, the Japanese, even Soviet MiGs during the Cold War. So it made perfect sense that if you had something of either foreign design or something beyond that, it would go to right field at least initially for analysis and breakdown. And so it can be documented not only by witnesses from Roswell, but also the press, that very first press release that went out, which stated that the materials were being flown to higher headquarters. Well, the higher headquarters was right field. 
And even Marcel, the intelligence officer, Major Jesse Marcel, when he was ordered on Tuesday afternoon, July 7th, to transport some of the wreckage to Wright Field by his base commander, Colonel William Blanchard, they made a preliminary stop at Carswell Army Airfield, and that is where Brigadier General Roger Ramey had the famous or infamous, as we might call it, weather balloon press conference. We'll talk about where, weather balloons and more, and especially about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Inside the Real Area 51 is the book with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free sent right to your mailbox, plus a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. thought about it for years well the time is now you need a secret bunker and you need it deep and strong atlas survival shelters should be your first and only choice the experts at atlas can help you choose a shelter that has all the comforts of your home and is 11 times stronger than square box shelters call atlas at 1-855-4-BUNKERS 1-855-4-BUNKERS or visit iwantthatbunker.com atlas survival shelters better prepared than scared it's the Mountain House Super Sale right now at BePrepared.com. This month only. Every can is 40% off. Try the delectable flavor of scrambled eggs with bacon. Only $20.39. Regularly $33.99. Or taste Mountain House Beef Stroganoff. Normally $28.49. Now only $17.09. In the mood for dessert? Try a number 10 can of raspberry crumble for only $16.49. Usually priced at $27.49. Call Emergency Essentials at 800-999-1863. Or click BePrepared.com. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com. Hi there. My name is Frank Bates. What I'm about to tell you in the next 60 seconds could get me in a lot of trouble. I just created a free video presentation at 123coverup.com that exposes the electricity monopolies and government agencies for what they really are. Incompetent, lying crooks that are counting on your ignorance and fear to keep your power bills criminally high. Some have called this a conspiracy. Others have called it a cover-up, and you will be shocked to find out how deep the conspiracy goes. My video at 123coverup.com exposes the truth and shows you the secret of how I beat them and how you can beat them too. Watch the controversial video that thousands of other smart patriots have already seen in the last three months. Go to 123coverup.com and discover one weird trick to slash your power bill and protect your home. Go watch my video now at 123coverup.com before they force me to shut it down. 
Again, that's 123coverup.com. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even if I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months, simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? So we continue with the progression of this story. The book is Inside the Real Area 51. Donald Schmidt, the co-author, joins us on the Paracast with Gene and Chris. So now this is the journey of what allegedly was picked up in Roswell, New Mexico, taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. All right, so you're at the point where they did the infamous weather balloon story. Yes, and not only Marcel is ordered to pose with the substituted uh, weather balloon. Now, I, I, I can say that because General Ramey's adjutant, his chief of staff, was the late Brigadier General Thomas J. DeBose. And DeBose, when we interviewed him in the early 90s, and he signed a sworn affidavit stating that they were the ones who substituted, who switched the balloon for the real material. He stated, quite frankly, and we have him on tape stating that the balloon part of it was a hoax that they were instructed, specifically he was instructed by General Clements McMullen at the Pentagon to get the press off of General Ramey's back. In other words, they needed to shut this down as soon as possible. And it did. It worked. Nonetheless, as even General Ramey canceled the continuation of the flight onto onto right field, the FBI Bureau Office in Dallas put out a telex at 6.17 Central Standard Time that evening where it described the hexagonal radar reflector kite and the neoprene rubber balloon that supposedly explained Roswell. But they stated that based on their telephonic conversations between their FBI office and Wright Field, that that belief was not borne out. So in other words, they were refuting the balloon explanation. And they went on to state that the materials were still going on to right field. Now, the press at that time also, you know, stated whether it was from New York or Washington that the materials did eventually go to right field in Dayton, Ohio. And then we have witnesses also at the base, such as former base commander, Brigadier General Arthur Exxon, 
who was a student at the Institute of Technology at Wright Field in 1947. And he described how they were told in advance to prepare the labs at T2, that the material was coming in. And Exxon would never see the material, but he would hear the conversations from the people that he worked with, the lab technicians, who described that upon the material's arrival, and first examination, that they thought that it had to be of Soviet design because no one could recognize it, no one could identify it. But according to Exxon, that he was told later that after all of the stress and the fracture testing, all of the pressure testing, all the analysis, that there was a unanimous conclusion at T2, at Wright Field, that the materials were from space, that they were not manufactured here. Now, I met with Colonel Robert Friend just a few months ago out in Los Angeles, and he was the second-last director of Project Blue Book before Hector Quintanella, the final uh, director of the project. And we were talking about uh, Wright Field. And I was surprised when he immediately just, you know, snapped, well, I was there in 47. I was at Wright Field. And, yes, we were told the materials were coming in from Roswell. I didn't see the materials, but we knew they were coming in. And I said, well, that's interesting. You feel that they would have brought in materials of a weather balloon for analysis, you know, after they had been explained away at Fort Worth. And he laughed and he says, well, we all know it wasn't a weather balloon. Now, a Colonel Friend believes that it was an errant atomic bomb, that it was a broken arrow, which is interesting because... We really didn't have any in our arsenal at that time in 47. Even Roswell, which was the headquarters of the 509th Bomb Group, the first atomic bomb wing in the world, they didn't even have any bombs. They were doing tests. They were bomb drop testing and loading. They were using sand barrels. Talked to enough of the crewmen who were involved with these exercises, and uh, there just weren't any bombs in the arsenal at that time. Okay, we understand this guy is not and never was a UFO believer. Right. But interesting that he doesn't accept the mogul balloon explanation. He believes it was an atomic bomb, that it still created enough of a level of attention and extreme recovery operation, the containment, the cover-up, and to this day he believes that it's still due to the fact that it was a broken arrow. He can't prove it, but it continues to demonstrate that. And as both of you would have to admit that every time someone comes out with a new theory on Roswell, the press, you know, they just jump at it. They just latch on to it. It's like, well, I thought it was mogul. I thought it was anthropomorphic wooden crash dummies. And yet, as we refer to them as the theory of the month, it seems like every time, whether it's Popular Mechanics or Annie Jacobson with her book on Area 51, it doesn't matter how ludicrous the explanation, the press latches right onto it. So, again, so much for Roswell, always, you know, dropping off the radar. It still seems to be very much, at least, a curiosity as to what actually did happen. So it's your position here that the remnants of this UFO were taken to Wright-Patterson. Is that where that wreckage is today? 
It's not my position, Gene. It's, I mean, it can be documented. There's enough, enough uh, documentation even in the, in the press at that time that whatever was recovered did end up, it was transport, transferred to right field. As far as it's still being there, from all indications, it's, it's long been gone. There are still witnesses who describe certain hangars, certain areas that were off limits, suggesting that materials, that certain evidence may have been there through the early 80s. But beyond that, there's nothing, there's no testimony, no, nothing that would suggest anything over the past 30 years. Well, well, Don, let me uh, break in here uh, real quick. Uh, One of the things that I really enjoyed in your book is how you actually take the reader uh, almost on a guided tour of uh, some of the restricted areas at Rypat. And and I I was really taken by how you corrected some kind of pop culture misnomers, uh, most specifically uh, Hangar 18. Why don't you give our listeners kind of a sense of how Wright Pat developed from that period in the 40s up until now. You've done an amazing, you and Thomas have done an amazing job of documenting uh, a lot of the uh, the building layouts, um, some of the underground, interesting underground uh, work that's been uh, in, in installations that have put, been put in there. Why don't you give our listeners kind of a sense of, of, of how Wright Pat developed as a physical location? Well, first of all, the, the, the biggest claim the fame certainly is its namesake, the fact that it was named after Orville and Wilbur Wright, you know, the, the very, you know, inventors of uh, motorized flight, and that they had one of their test fields at the very location. Now, granted, eventually they would uh, accomplish that very first uh, feat of flight at Kitty Hawk, not in Ohio, but nonetheless, they established their first uh, military base of operation. They were contracted by the military, and they essentially had a test site, a test field, and then it adjoined with a storage depot, which eventually, during World War I, and they were able to provide a lot of, uh, as far as mechanical parts, hardware for the, uh, for the military at that time, and then leading up to World War II, where, as I described earlier, it eventually became two adjoining airfields, Wright Field and Patterson Field. And eventually, it would take on as far as this most important persona as being the, probably the most strategic military airfield in our arsenal. It's not only as far as with foreign technology, it had the Aeromed Biological Research Center, it had a lot of cold storage hangars where they were doing a lot of cold engine testing. They did a lot of crash testing. A lot of the astronauts, Neil Armstrong, for example, uh, was trained at, at Wright-Patterson. Uh, John Stepp, who was in, uh, known as the Rocket Man, and we all remember as far as that footage of that rocket sled speeding across as far as uh, the desert down in the southwest and his face all contorted from the G-forces. It's all being, you know, pulled back as he's, you know, exceeding the speed of sound. I'll tell you what, if we don't do this, we're going to exceed speeds of sound, too. Donald Schmidt joins Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. September is National Preparedness Month in the U.S., and it's National Savings Month at Freeze Dry Guy. Are you prepared to save? All Mountain House freeze dried foods in number 10 cans are now 40% off at freezedryguy.com. These long lasting foods for emergency preparedness with a guaranteed 25 year shelf life are 40% off at freezedryguy.com. These easy foods for camping, backpacking, hunting, and sailing are 40% off at freezedryguide.com. These delicious foods, freeze-dried to lock in the taste, aroma, and freshness, are 40% off at freezedryguide.com. All cans of Mountain House freeze-dried meats, entrees, fruits, and veggies are 40% off at freezedryguide.com. Be prepared and save 40% now through September 30th at freezedryguide.com or call 866-404-3663, 866-404-FOOD. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we are exceeding the speed of sound going over the history of Wright-Patterson Field, which, according to Don Schmidt and his investigation with Tom Carey, houses all sorts of of secrets. Let's progress with the story about what it was used for. So we all remember the pictures, Donald Schmidt, of the sled. Where yes. you see the person's face compressing as a result of experiencing G-force. John Stapp, Rocket Man, yes. Afterwards, they were conducting a lot of crash investigation, a lot of crash research. So almost like, as, as though it was a continuation on what happened back in 47. So in other words, they, they were set up specifically. They had recovery teams in the event of down aircraft. And whether, I don't want to bring up Kecksburg, but I'll bring up Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. And there too, they talk about the materials, whatever was recovered. I have always been in the position that it was a Soviet reentry, but nonetheless, it still went to right pat. So it seems that it's had this long, drawn-out history of not only UFO investigation, but also when something is recovered from the air, even from space, that the testing, the final repository, seems to have been Wright-Patterson. And so you have all of these underground facilities, and one of the things that one has ever toured the base, and I've been there on numerous occasions until the last time when they wouldn't even allow me on the base, which we describe in the book, that you see all these 
ventilation shafts. You see all these tubes and all these ventilation units on on the ground, as if they're obviously leading to some underground building. And then there are bunkers with doorways that you go down a stairway, and the door obviously must lead to an underground chamber of sorts. And then there are all types of restricted areas that go off into some wooded areas and alongside other hillsides. General Exxon, to mention him again, when he was the base commander in 64, he described to us that there were entire areas that were even off limits to him, and he was the base commander. And then we know the famous story as far as uh, Barry Goldwater even asking for access to certain areas on the base, specifically the Blue Room which supposedly contain, you know, physical evidence in the right. file. Not only no, hell no. <laughs> hell no, right, right. Getting back to, again, Wright-Patterson. So it's demonstrated, and we have so many accounts in the book that talk about these underground hangars, these underground vaults, these underground uh, chambers, multiple levels that suggest that there's an entire operation that continues on a day-to-day basis, subsurface. Now, I've never seen, I've never been to any of these underground levels, but I have been to at Holloman Air Force Base in Alamogordo, New Mexico, White Sands Proving Ground. I was one of the first citizens given a tour of Space Command, and I was taken three levels down, and there was this huge hangar underground hangar with all these tractor trailers, these mobile communication vehicles that in the event of uh, an EMP, any type of uh, breakdown of our electronic grid, for example, that these would all come to the surface and fan out throughout the country maintaining mobile communications. So I was told. And we went into an elevator shaft and we went down and I saw the numbers and I was told we went to the third level. What was interesting is years later, I ran into a lieutenant colonel who was at the Pentagon who used to work at Space Command at Alamogordo at Holloman Field. And he said, Don, they were just trying to give you the impression you went down three levels. You actually were still at the ground level. And I said, well, that's interesting because we had to go down a flight of steps to even get to the elevator shaft which he kind of then laughed at. Well, yeah, it's not above the ground, but so you're telling me we never went beneath ground level? And he had no answer for me. So, again, he was trying to cover his tracks. But these stories, the information, the eyewitnesses, they exist. They talk through the years of being taken down elevator shafts, going to these undisclosed areas and seeing certain things that they shouldn't have and then being told that they are not to speak. It was a continuation on the Roswell theme. They were describing and reacting the same way as so many of the witnesses at Roswell. You didn't see anything, you didn't hear anything, and you were never to say another word about this. So a continuation on the same theme. Well, this is what I gather here is that any insulation used for top-secret work of any kind doesn't necessarily have to involve E.T. or some kind of otherworldly phenomenon or craft. They're going to have security issues. Absolutely. They're going to have security restrictions. That's part of the way these things work. 
Absolutely. So we understand that. Now, the question I have, though, I think goes back to the title. How do you relate this kind of installation to Area 51? Why do you call it the real Area 51? Is it because of the belief or the expectation or the evidence showing that the alien craft are there, not Area 51 in Nevada? Our original title was actually Beneath the Radar, suggesting a subterranean, you know, sublevel as far as a containment for the UFO evidence. And the, our editor came up with the title of uh, Inside the Real Area 51, and mainly playing off of the notion, and then you, you, you describe it uh, quite accurately, Gene, that people have this knee-jerk reaction. They hear, they hear Area 51, and they immediately think, oh, aliens on ice, alien technology. And I, I for one, have never subscribed to the belief that anything extraordinary is being stored at Area 51. I think it's just a continuation on on the skunk works and black operations, black ops, whether it was the U-2 spy plane or the SR-71, the flying blackbird, Project Aurora, if we believe in that, the flying manta, nothing to suggest anything of a extraterrestrial nature. But again, People believe that, people draw that connection, and our editor just felt that, well, it isn't Area 51. In reality, it was Wright-Patterson. So let's just set the record straight. Let's demonstrate that as much as they'd like to believe it's at Groom Lake at Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada, in reality, it was at Wright-Patterson in Dayton, Ohio. Therefore being the real Area 51. The real Area 51. Besides, it's a provocative title. Yes, yes. And interestingly enough, as we all know, that the CIA would make that (laughs) announcement as though talk about being right on top of things again, just a week before the release of the book, that it does exist after all, you know, contrary to, you know, 50 years of denial. It's really out there, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Well, again, and that brings, Donald, and that's really important. I brought this up a, a couple of shows ago that the very fact that it's now been acknowledged doesn't that open up uh you know all the legal lawsuits uh that were at, in the end of the 90s i think by workers who were um destroying or burning toxic materials out there and they tried to sue the government and i yes. seem to remember bill clinton saying well you can't sue the government because uh, there is no uh, base that you're claiming that you worked on doesn't that open up the legal issues now uh for these workers to uh to go ahead and go after the government I would hope so. I would hope so. And especially as far as this class action suit, as you describe, Chris, that uh, these former workers who, you know, it's no different than the Agent Orange, uh, you know, victims as far as from the Vietnam War, that if indeed they have been exposed to toxic elements of any kind, that they should have some legal recourse. And true, you can't sue the government. You can't sue the military for that reason. I remember when I think it was Popular Mechanics even had this uh, cover story that 51 had been evacuated. It had been cleared out, and the new Area 51 was now in Utah. Ah, we can even go to Utah, especially Utah. We have Donald Schmidt joining us, and the new Area 51 is not in Utah, by the way. But the book, of course, is called Inside... The real Area 51. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast.
So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Hello, I'm Steve Shank. Everybody's heard the statement that what you don't know can't hurt you. But truth is, what you don't know is the only thing that can hurt you. For example, you might not know how our country's wars can hurt you. Japanese radiation and the Gulf oil spill are destroying your seafood. People don't understand how America's 50-year worst drought is hurting them. Our natural disaster experience has proven relief organizations can't take care of the victims. And there's the huge question of how the government will feed all the people that it's promised to feed with no food. What if we made the whole country into one big neighborhood where we take care of each other by taking care of ourselves? Here's the plan. For every new EPAC 60 60-day food supply that you order, eFoods Direct will send a 7-day food supply to each of two families in your name, free of charge. Go to eFoodsDirect.com or call 800-876-0871, 800-876-0871, eFoodsDirect.com. Every day, more and more people are feeling better than they've felt in years by going gluten-free. Now it's your chance to learn how it can change your life. The third annual Gluten-Free Living Now Expo comes to the fountains in Carmel, Indiana. Saturday, October 5th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Discover the world of gluten-free living with 100 vendors showcasing and selling the latest gluten-free products. Get vital information with lectures on celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, and the gluten-free diet. And with the gluten-free cooking and baking, 
baking demos. You'll learn gluten-free can still be delicious. There's a Kids Corner sponsored by Sean. And there's even a gluten-free beer and alcohol garden. The Gluten-Free Living Now Expo. It's everything you need to know about being gluten-free. Saturday, October 5th at the Fountains in Carmel, Indiana. Admission is free for kids 12 and under and just $10 for adults. For more, visit glutenfreelivingnow.org and follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Sponsored by Kroger, Nature's Farm, Lutino, Hooties, Living Without Magazine, and Longevity. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we have Donald Schmidt, co-author of Inside the Real Area 51. He's not talking about Utah, but Wright-Patterson Base. Today, what's the current status of what's going on in Dayton, Ohio? Last time we actually tried to uh, visit the base, I was contacted by Peacock Productions, NBC. Lester Holt, the weekend anchor at NBC, they wanted to take a film crew into the base just to look around. And it was kind of a follow-up on what we had suggested when the late Carl Day, he was an Emmy Award-winning reporter with an NBC affiliate in Dayton, and he had attempted to do a report in 1995 exposing this rumor, this myth of this underground facility, this, these multiple levels beneath Wright-Patterson. And the only thing that he was allowed to gain or uh, get on, on film was some underground passageways, some doorways that led to some underground rooms, nothing more. So this was in 2010, NBC, they wanted to you know, do some major follow-up. They wanted to actually come in with a film crew. Don, can you help us get on the base? You've been there before. What can you do? So I immediately contacted public relations at the base, thought it should just be routine. And I was immediately referred to Air Force Entertainment in Hollywood. Well, that was a first. They never did that before. In fact, the Ghost Hunters had just done an episode for the Sci-Fi Channel at Wright Pat just a few months earlier and had no difficulty getting on the base. But we did. I was turned down six separate times before I finally went to a good personal friend, Colonel Jeffrey Thau, who's a former deputy commander at Wright-Patt, who still has an office there as well as at the Pentagon. I call, up and I, I call him up and I said, Jeff, they're not letting me on the base. Get, get, get me on the base. NBC'd like to you know, bring in a film crew. Well, Don, I'll see what I can do. A few days would pass and Colonel Thau would call up and um, he said, Don, I have a new quote for you. And I was... Uh, fully expecting that if anybody should, you know, get us, you know, permission, it would be a former deputy commander of the base. And he described how he met personally with the base commander who made the remark to him, Jeff, I don't care if you have four stars, Don Schmidt is not getting on this base. Well, okay. I had a hard time explaining that to NBC. (laughs) Not only no, hell no. But hell no, right. But I'll throw a little monkey wrench into the works. And I don't know if you've ever had Paul Davids on the program, who was the executive producer of the Roswell movie. Yes, we did. Yes. And uh, Paul could verify this. 
And this was months ago. This was before Paul even knew, was aware that we had just submitted for publication a book on Wright Patterson. He calls up one day and he goes, Don, you have to keep this under your hat. But I just had a call from public relations, you know, from Wright Pat. And they want to fly me in, you know, all expense paid, but to bring in one of the props from the Roswell movie. Now, Paul has in his collection the animatronic alien that we use, the surviving alien that we use in the Roswell movie. He, he showed it to me in the parking lot of a grocery store. Uh, he opened up his trunk and showed when I That's first right. met him. That's right. You saw a body in a trunk. Okay. <laughs> so you know, still- actually, as a, as a kind of a weird aside, Paul Davids was my landlord when I first moved to Sedona. I, I rented his, uh, his house there. <laughs> he has a house there as well as up in Big Bear, California, and he has one in Santa Fe now too as well. So, so you were, he was your landlord in Sedona. Okay. <laughs> well, he, he tried for uh, about a month and a half to get me to, to rent the place, and I refused to move to Sedona. I wanted to be outside of there, but he finally sure. made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And when we, we had that first, that first kind of lunch meeting and he showed me the house, he says, oh, check out what I got on my trunk. And he <laughs> opened it up, and there it was, and I was like, oh, my God. Now, understand here, I'm trying to figure this out. Well, can I finish if this you could, quickly? Sure, I finish the story, and then I'm going to ask yep. the logical yes. question. In fact, let me ask it now before you finish the story. Okay. Fine. Does Paul Davids always keep this thing in his trunk? No, 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 no. I'm getting that impression from both of you. <laughs> no. Though he saw this, this invitation from Wright Pat, as an, uh, as an opportunity that he was going to take a cross-country jaunt with the prop, with the body, that he was going to kind of do a, a film of uh, Roswell on the road make the drive all the way from Los Angeles to Dayton, Ohio. And when he's describing this to me and, and saying that they wanted to schedule this for the fall, at the same time that I would then inform him, well, our book is coming out in the fall. And we started to kind of put two and two together. Well, were they looking at this as being a photo op that they would trot out, you know, this prop and say, well, here's the pickled alien we've had since 47. Look at, we have no problem displaying it. You know, anybody want to take some pictures, make light of it. Well, anyway, I suggested to Paul, okay, let's do it. But under the condition that we get to show the movie at the base. And Paul would have a response sometime thereafter canceling the entire invitation that and as uh, one of the officers at the base said that they had no intention of showing the movie because it would present information that was contrary to the air force's official explanation on the topic so i just find it rather amusing that here the cia releases you know or acknowledges area 51 and right pat was planning on bringing out one of the bodies almost you know <laughs> at the same time as the release of our book so coincidence yes i i'm sure it was but nonetheless i only regret that paul didn't get to make his cross country jaunt and uh, can you just imagine get pulled over by a uh, you know a police officer and let me take a look in your trunk <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they need probable cause, don't they? Yes, yes, You they can't would. just go into somebody's trunk unless you have some reason to think that he's got a dead alien there. 
If I were Paul, I'd give them just for the, to get the look on their face as well, I'm rolling. Make sure you're film. rolling tape on that. Rolling one, tape, absolutely. The only thing is, he may be rolling in the truck to the police station. <laughs> That's right. Of course, that would make a good story. It would, yeah, and he would capitalize on it. I have no doubt. Ah, oh, okay. So, all right. If they actually had the captured UFO sitting there since 1947, and it could have been moved, whatever, and they had the captured bodies. Is there any evidence that we've learned anything from it? I'm almost thinking of the line that was made in the film Independence Day from, what, 1996, and there's going to be a sequel, by the way, if anyone cares. Yes, I understand. So they go to Area 51, you know, the one in Groom Lake. Yes. And someone asked them, you've had this thing since the 1950s, they say in the film, not 1947. They say 57 instead of 47, right? Right. Okay, so, you know, fact checkers don't work well with films. Okay, so what they say is, you've had it there since the 50s, and you don't know anything about it. Well, we'll have an answer in a moment. What do we know about this stuff? Inside the real Area 51, Donald Schmidt joins Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN Great Talk Radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. 
It's time to get healthy, and your first step towards a healthy lifestyle begins at the Healthy Living Expo, Saturday and Sunday, September 28th and 29th at the Music City Center in Nashville. Get your free tickets at thehealthylivingexpo.com and join us for Tennessee's most comprehensive health, fitness, and nutrition expo. There's over 100 exhibits with information and services to help create a healthier life. Also, more than 25 health screenings, cooking demos, and the latest fitness trends. Plus, visit the Young Booth. Get free tickets at thehealthylivingexpo.com. There's prizes all day on the stages and at the booths, like fitness memberships to an area health club every hour. The Healthy Living Expo, September 28th and 29th at the Music City Center, Nashville. Get free tickets for yourself, your family, your friends, and everyone you know at thehealthylivingexpo.com. Get to the website now, because tickets are $10 at the door. The Healthy Living Expo, your first step towards a healthy lifestyle. September is National Preparedness Month in the U.S., and it's National Savings Month at Freeze Dry Guy. Are you prepared to save? All Mountain House freeze dried foods in number 10 cans are now 40% off at freezedryguy.com. These long lasting foods for emergency preparedness with a guaranteed 25 year shelf life are 40% off at freezedryguy.com. These easy foods for camping, backpacking, hunting, and sailing are 40% off at freezedryguy.com. These delicious foods, freeze-dried to lock in the taste, aroma, and freshness are 40% off at freezedryguy.com. All cans of Mountain House freeze-dried meats, entrees, fruits, and veggies are 40% off at freezedryguy.com. Be prepared and save 40% now through September 30th at freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663, 866-404-FOOD. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, again, I'm doing the movie thing, where I quote a line from a movie because it so much reflects pop culture. We're talking to Donald Schmidt. So the question they asked there in the movie was, of the character played by the fellow who, of course, played Data on Star Trek Next Generation, that actor, okay? So Such they a lot of long hair, yeah. With the long hair and everything. <laughs> and they say, you've had it here all these years, you haven't learned anything about it, have you? Of course, he said, we've learned tons of things. But that's the question I'll ask you. In the real world, we have the wreckage of a spaceship from 1947. What have we learned from it? Is there any evidence of that? I am uh, still of the personal position that it remains a cover-up of ignorance, that after now 60 six years that they still really have no answers that the technology may be such a quantum leap that we can't bridge that gap uh screenwriter tracy torme i think he provides you know a great analogy if you could take something as simple as a toaster a toaster oven and if you could teleport it back in time say you'd send it back to the middle ages and they might be able to disassemble and even reassemble it but if you can't plug it in, you can never get it to work. I'm, I still maintain that after all these years, they still can't find the on button. Okay, I it's like do. I always say, just take an iPhone and go back 100 years. It'd be a very similar impact. But let's look at that there. All right, what about the claim of the late Philip Corso that they did reverse engineer some of the 
rough edges of the technology, the easy to access stuff. You don't go along with that. We're often uh, criticized for not mentioning Colonel Corso in our Witness to Rousable book or even the, the new book with uh, Unright Pat. And I had met Colonel Corso on two occasions. And what truly disillusioned me, now granted, he was correct because the military, as we know, doesn't manufacture anything. They contract out everything into the private sector. Every tank, every plane, every ship. is all manufactured by private corporations uh, around the country. And so we knew that we had witnesses at Patel Institute, at Rand Corporation, at the Bureau of Standards, at General Electric, at Hughes Aircraft, all talking about receiving, you know, portions of wreckage for analysis through the years. So I didn't have a problem with that. But the problem I have with Corso is that when it came to his chapter describing the Roswell incident, it was 100% based on a witness that we had discredited, and that was the witness, Frank Kaufman. His story matched Kaufman's exactly. And then when we learned that Corso had been to Roswell on prior occasions, and he stayed at Kaufman's residence, he obviously was putting together his story compiling information for, for his book from less than reliable sources. And, so, and making it as if he was the participant. Uh, yes, and then okay. taking on that persona that he himself, he inserted himself as a participant, correct. Okay, so basically he made up a lot of this stuff, is what you're saying. Or that he relied on, as I described, less than reliable sources. The point being, once he puts himself in the story, he makes himself the star of the story. Yes. You are worried about one thing here. We have this guy with a very distinguished military record. Okay? That's correct. Why would he do this towards the end of his life? Why would he produce a story that may in large part be fictional? And I would also question, again, the timing. Why was the book slated just prior to the 50th anniversary in July of 1997? And unlike our first book, UFO Crash at Roswell in 1991, and even the follow-up, The Truth About, in 1994, we received a ton of media attention. And if you were to look back at 97, aside from the 50th anniversary, Corso pretty much got buried in the rush. The only network program that I've ever witnessed that did a report on, here was a first-hand officer, first-hand you know, witness to Roswell who came out with this first-hand account of you know, handling materials, seeing bodies, and being privy, being involved with the actual reverse engineering efforts of the material. And the only program that touched him was NBC Dateline, which did a hatchet job on him. So I started to you know, question if it was all intended to, again, serve as a diversion, as a smokescreen for the real story, for the real case. So basically, Corso, you say or suggest he was serving his country In to provide ways, disinformation. Possibly, and as an unwilling participant, un, as an unknowing participant. Uh, that's so often the case, and especially with elderly officers where they're, they're called back into you know, service, back into duty, and they don't even realize that 
they're serving someone else's agenda. I can't prove that. I don't know that for a fact. I just, you know, I just question why he had to rely on disingenuous information if indeed he was a first-hand participant and why he was almost uh, like kryptonite when it came to the media back at that time. What do you think about Bill Burns' participation as co-author? Did he just take the notes and embellish them or what? Well, we know that there was a dispute between the Corso family, not only involving Colonel Corso himself, but also his son, uh, Phil Jr., regarding uh, Bill Burns, and that uh, much of the information had been inflated, had been uh, you know, exaggerated. I, I, too, if I had to rely on any single Roswell witness and flesh out an entire book, I couldn't do it. And it wasn't a, a short book. It was a long book. It was over 400 pages, correct? So there, too, I feel that Burns took great liberties in stretching out the story as much as possible. And I think tr- mainly trying to play up on the, uh, the 50th anniversary. Well, the thing is, of course, too, that perhaps he, as a true crime writer, would be ideally situated towards taking this and making it read almost like a fiction story. Like a novel, yes. Sure, it read very much like a novel, had this kind of novel approach in terms of the writing. And I almost thought here, it almost reminded me in a way of the way Major Donald Kehoe would structure his books. That even though he had supposedly factual books, they'd read like novels in which he was the protagonist. Yeah, the quotes and the interactions and everything. You make an excellent point, Gene. I never heard that, uh, you know, that comparison drawn before. And now that I think of it, um, you know, I've made the suggestion, I've uh, speculated regarding even Keyhole. And if you remember even NICAP, his organization, which he had founded. I know about it. I had encounters with Major Keyhole. I interviewed him once or twice. So I knew him slightly. And he seemed like a nice guy. Yes, of course. Really and nice guy. He seemed sincere. Totally. But yet he poo-pooed, he discounted the occupant uh, re- uh, report sightings. The, you know, there was an article com- There was an article in one of the UFO publications. It may have been the late Jim Mosley's original Saucer News, mm-hmm. where the suggestion was made, how close will Major Kehoe let a UFO get. And I gather it was with great difficulty that he covered the story of Betty and Barney Hill. Now, what Kehoe would say is, look, whether or not we accept this, if we have cases that seem too outlandish, we're going to not be able to get the interest of scientists and legislators. He was trying to be politically correct, maybe too politically correct. So maybe that was the logic behind it. Let's go more into that, because that's fascinating. Donald Schmidt is the co-author with Thomas Carey of Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson. So much more to come with Gene and with Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are 
The GCN Radio Network. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Ceramic Body Armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike Ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel Body Armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. You are now in the crosshairs. The NSA and FBI are treating you like a criminal and monitoring your every move. Ron Paul said recently, the evidence of the totalitarian nature of this government is on display undeniably every day. What's taking place right now is a coup and the destruction of the Constitution. Fortunately, there is something you can do about it. Learn how to be invisible, lock down your privacy, and even disappear forever. Go to privacylockdown.com to learn how. That's privacylockdown.com. Hi, this is Steve Sanchez, and based on a recent study, it was found that 57 million Americans had legal issues over the last 12 months, but only 60% of those studied sought out the services of a lawyer. Why? In a nutshell, affordability. Well, my friends at Legal Shield have created a solution that can help you not if, but when you need an attorney. For as little as $17 per month, Legal Shield will provide you unlimited access to qualified attorneys at an accomplished law firm for advice and counsel on legal issues no matter how serious or trivial. For over 40 years and with 1.4 million families across North America, Legal Shield can help you, the loyal GCN listener. Representatives are standing by now to answer your questions, so call them now at 1-855-340-SAVE. That's 1-855-340-7283 or visit them at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Farmers keep livestock lean and healthy with a mineral-rich diet. Then, before market, they cut off minerals, leading them to crave high-calorie grains. If weight control is this easy, why prescribe surgery for humans? Introducing Longevity. You could avoid 900 diseases by getting 90 essential nutrients from Longevity. Check out 90forlife at tobeyoungagain.com or call 855-79-YOUNG. That's 855-79-YOUNG or tobeyoungagain.com. Longevity. It's all about saving money, getting healthy, and creating wealth. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Major Donald Kehoe was director of NICAP National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. He wrote a number of UFO books, starting with The Flying Saucers Are Real, then Flying Flying Saucers Saucers From Outer Space, which is the first UFO book I read in my life at age 11. The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, Flying Saucers Top Secret, that's the first four. Those are the best four. Okay, and as I was saying in the previous segment, as we talked with Donald Schmidt, he wrote these books like, I would say, a straight-ahead mystery novel. You know, you had Major Kehoe as the star of the book. You would have these various suspenseful episodes involving UFOs, UFO disclosure and all that. Lots of recreated conversations. Because remember, all these mystery novels like Mickey Spillane and all that, it was always 90% dialogue. Yes, yes. And Kehoe kept up with that tradition. That is correct. Absolutely correct. And they, they read wonderfully i mean they they hooked so many people as far as into as far as the subject of ufos because they read like you were reading a movie script you know the big funny thing is flying saucers from outer space was actually optioned for a movie yes that turned out to be earth versus the flying saucers that's the one with the great ray harryhausen stop motion effects but yes. it was just basically a B-movie, science fiction movie. And Kehoe supposedly, in one of his books, told everyone how embarrassed he was that they took his factual information and turned it into a simple grade B sci-fi film. But it's the type of you know reports, the type of incidents, because, and as you both know, I mean, he was mostly writing about military cases. And my theory is that one of the reasons that Keyhole didn't get into or subscribe to the more sensational, the landings, the occupant cases throughout the mid-50s and thereafter, and then especially when you mentioned like the Hill case in 1961, that the Pentagon was feeding him just a, a trickle of information. Some good cases, but not the real hardcore, not the truly profound cases. But it kept him at bay. It kept him on a short leash as a result. Now, that's they just were throwing my him a bone. They were throwing him a bone or two, yeah, two it, or three bones. That's my you know, theory. And uh, I, I'd like to look into that personally if I should if ever have the time. That... You know, I'll give you another story here. Okay, this is a true story told me by Jim Mosley. We all know that Jim Mosley in the early 1950s took a drive around the country. Yes. To do research for a book about flying saucers. So he went to the headquarters of Project Blue Book, and supposedly they let him look at the actual documents of the cases. Maybe they had information redacted, and they said, look, you could write down what you want, but you can't take them with you. However, with Kehoe, 
he was conveyed this information verbally. Somebody yes. read it to him on the phone. He took notes. Okay. When Kehoe learned what Mosley did, this is Jim's version. I believe Jim because I never heard Jim actually lie to me. Mm-hmm. You know, in all the years I knew him, he'd tell me something I could accept as the truth. Jim and I always got along very well. Yes. Okay. And we all miss him. When Kehoe learned of this, he went ballistic. He complained and actually hurt the access by the media to Project Blue Book information because he opened his big mouth. <laughs> Though it's somewhat reminiscent of what Heineck, Jalen Heineck, also complained about as the scientific consultant to Blue Book. And as he would be on the road, and he would only make a monthly trek down to Dayton from uh, Evanston, Illinois. I mean, he was initially teaching at Ohio State. He just happened to be at the right place at the right time in Columbus, Ohio, just down the road from Wright Patterson. And so he was the nearby astronomer. Let's he say. was a nearby astronomer, and they felt that they needed an astronomer to always present an astronomical explanation as far as these aerial reports. So he was their principal, their skeptic, their chief debunker, you know, early on. And then even after uh, from Northwestern. But as he would be away from his association with Blue Book, he would be on the road and lecturing and doing um, interviews with the media. And he would be talking to military pilots, commercial pilots, SAC, uh, strategic air command officers. And he'd hear of these good cases. He'd hear of, you know, as he would describe them, you know, truly cases that describe aircraft, aerial objects that defied conventional explanation. And then he would go down to Blue Book and he'd look for those cases. And he'd, he'd, you know, finger through all the recent reports. And as he would describe to us, none of those cases were ever there. So he started to realize that, as he put it, all the hardcore cases were going upstairs. They were going elsewhere. And so for Mosley to have described that he was able to go through, you know, the available files and then Keyhole to complain, well, yeah, I was told of these reports, these cases, but I wasn't allowed to go through the case files. But Heineck describing, well, I didn't ever find the cases I was looking for that I was personally told about. There's a shell game going on here. And Kehoe's upset, and Heineck's upset, and Mosley thinks that he's had access. And the bottom line is, when the Blue Book files were declassified in 75, it talks about a lot of cases that aren't there. It talks about a lot of gun camera footage that aren't there. It talks about a lot of photographs that aren't there. So uh, I guess the bottom line is, when the system, when Blue Book was declassified, Beyond the redactions, beyond, you know, the sanitized version, a lot of the case reports are not there. They are missing. Let's go back to Kehoe, because I think we were starting to indicate something, and maybe you didn't go too far. I gather you had suspicions of Kehoe and suspicions of NICAP. Yes, yes, as to whether it would eventually be infiltrated, the late Dr. Peter Rank who was a naval flight surgeon out of D.C., and he worked with Kehoe. He was there, you know, in the early 60s. And they had concerns even at that time already that they were setting themselves up for a big fall, that they were getting too hostile 
towards the Air Force. And as a result, the Air Force was going to push back and push back in a hard way. It, it appears as though whether they created the environment that it became self-destructive or they had some help. As we all know, you know, NICAP wasn't long towards, you know, continuing their UFO, their civilian UFO investigations. That they were always in trouble with money, keeping a magazine on schedule. Yes. He was yes. always pleading for money. But according to Jerome Clark, who's been on our show a number of occasions, Kehoe was a very poor manager. He wasn't a business person. He was a journalist. He may be decent at doing investigative reporting, but he wasn't so good at running an organization. But, of course, in a number of the years, Richard Hall was the guy who was doing all the day-to-day work. Kehoe would come in maybe a couple of times a week to just see what's going on. That is correct. And you are correct that Kehoe was very much like Heineck with QFOS, with the Center for UFO Studies. He wasn't an office person. He liked to be out in the field. He liked to essentially go out and collect information, collect stories, as, uh, especially in Kehoe's case. They weren't really investigating. They were just uh, accumulating data. And as a result, if the office needed just to even you know, go out and buy stamps for a mailing or print up a new newsletter, well, you know, take care of it. Don't bother me with that. You know, I have the next case to look into. Okay, and, so do we think then that Kehoe, with an organization heavily laden with ex-military, including a former director of the CIA, as a matter of fact, whether... Roscoe he, Hillencalder, yes. Sure. Whether he was manipulated by the military and thrown a few bones to keep away from the really... Hard stuff, really difficult stuff, the really sensational stuff that would really prove something. That is my theory. That's something that I do intend to look into, the idea that they kept them, as I said, at arm's length. And as we even describe in the Wright Patterson book, I believe they did the same thing with Heineck. Yeah, and I must say, Don, you do a really good job of, of really showing the progression from the beginning of Heineck's involvement through uh, literally his last days, how he became more and more frustrated and really simply wanted to know the truth. And uh, this is uh, your book really does lay out, I think, that that process that Heineck went through uh, in a really, really, I think, um, a poignant way. I mean, the guy really, at the end of his life, he was frustrated. Absolutely. I met Heineck in his final year several times. And we'll go into all those stories and a lot more. We're talking to Donald Schmidt. The book is Inside the Real Area 51. And you're inside with Gene and Chris, The Real Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the 
people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. A healthy digestive system supports a healthy immune system. And a healthy immune system protects you against infections and disease. Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse, available at Terraganics.com, is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM1 is a powerful liquid probiotic and is gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM1 contains three groups of beneficial microbes and enzymes to cleanse and remove toxins, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, and aids in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM1 one is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, is non-GMO, has all natural certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is never freeze-dried. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The reason we say real as opposed to fake is the fact that sometimes people give you names of shows that are the same as existing shows. So we have, of course, Don Ecker, who for 20 years has done a show called Dark Matters. And now we have on Sirius XM Radio, Art Bell's Dark Matter. Okay, we've got Inside the Real Area 51. Where's my lawyer? Huh? That's right. I just, that's right. I didn't even think of that. You're absolutely correct. That's Donald Schmidt joining Gene and Chris. The book is Inside the Real Area 51. You're going to say about the connection of the two names. No, no, I just, I just realized that. You're absolutely correct. And I think especially... We see that even song titles and movie titles, everything gets recycled. You know, like, for example, Man of Steel, the reboot of Superman. Yes. There was a movie called Man of Steel many years ago. It was not about, of course, Superman. So, of course, and of course, Dark Skies. Dark Skies was a TV show on NBC. Bryce, Bryce, Bryce Abel yes. was part of the production team, was one of the creators. And then they had a movie called Dark Skies. And it wasn't a that bad movie, by the way. But, of course, it had nothing to do with the other. So the movie company owns the title. They'll use it any way they want. Okay, the frustration of Heineck. Now, I remember this conversation because I was there, and the only other two people who were there was Charles Berlitz Mm -hmm. and Alan Heineck. And I introduced Berlitz to Heineck. I knew Berlitz in the late 70s, and I introduced him to Heineck. And Heineck, at that point, was concerned over how to get more attention to his books and i guess this is around the time he'd already sold the book for close encounters of the third kind how to get more better sales for his book because he saw that for example burlitz had the bermuda triangle and all that roswell incident yes right so that was an interesting conversation i also interviewed heineck late 70s 
And I could see where he was seeing the UFO mystery was a lot more complicated than he first expected it to be. A lot more involved, and maybe then there was part of his frustration over not getting all the information that would be helpful to reach some conclusions. So tell yes. us what you know about this. Well, as we describe throughout the book, and it's one of the reasons that, and we've been criticized again by a few colleagues within the field that, well, we didn't need you to rehash the official investigation by the Air Force of the uh, UFO investigation, Project Sign, Grudge, Blue Book, Project Stork, the Conduct Committee and all that. But we did all that just to basically set up the two Heineck chapters. As Chris, you mentioned, as far as his frustration, everything that led up even to through the evolution of his acceptance that there was a true phenomenon, and then how sad and how bitter he was at the end that for all of his years of devotion and commitment in trying to solve the mystery that the Air Force basically just used him as a patsy. He threatened to resign time and time again with the Air Force, and they always talked him into staying. And then at times they would threaten to fire him if he didn't remain in lockstep as far as their, you know, their official policy on the subject. If, they didn't, if he didn't trot right out and always appease the media, and then he truly felt betrayed after the Dexter Ann Arbor, Michigan sightings, when he was just besieged swamp by gas. swamp gas. But he only intended it to explain away one specific sighting at that time, which involved a farmer over a marsh area. It had nothing to do with all the students and the police and all the other sightings at that time. And he forever had to live that down. And yet it was another example of how the Air Force basically just dangled him out, put him out on a, on a limb, and let him suffer the consequences. Uh, we tell the story with uh, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, for example, where the first time that Rumsfeld was Secretary of Defense during the Gerald Ford administration, and that Heinig went and paid him a personal visit at his office in Washington, expecting some answers, hoping that for all those years of, you know, ass assisting the Air Force investigation, that Rumsfeld, you know, could give him, give him a bone, give him a carrot, give him something. And we describe how Rumsfeld gets up from his chair and walks over and leans down over him in total dominance and says, you have no right to know. Well, that would turn out to be the case right up to the time he would die that they felt he had no right to know. Senator Barry Goldwater had no right to know. Bill Clinton could tell you that, you know, for his efforts, that he had no right to know. Jimmy Carter, for his campaign promises that he was going to disclose the UFO files should he not threaten national security. You have no right to know. Dwight Eisenhower, in his own memoirs, who was chief of staff of the Army in 1947, who certainly was up to his eyeballs as, as far as the UFO phenomena. And in his own memoirs, he complains, and here's a five-star general, he complains that after he became president, the Pentagon didn't tell him anything any longer. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it's a very taut ship. I mean, we can name others. And Heineck was just an example as a civilian. They used him. Even up to the time he died, he was the good soldier. 
and he never was given any closure. And what a sad commentary. Do you think that he was manipulated, not just not being given the information that maybe he wanted to have, but he was manipulated by the government into maybe providing disinformation? I know that has been suggested. I know there's even, you know, talk that even in the founding of the Center for UFO Studies, that it was to serve as a conduit should he ever acquire information that he immediately would turn around and, you know, willingly, you know, pass it off to the Air Force, pass it off to the government as if he owed them anything. No. Explain to our listeners, you knew and worked with Dr. Hynek. It was always hard to be with Dr. Hynek because he was so intimidated by the late Carl Sagan that he was always, you know, saying, well, what will Carl say? What will Carl say? Every time he was going to come out with a, another report or, or the released results of another investigation or write up another article, well, what will Carl say? He, he was so concerned. And we would always say, well, what should Alan say? What should Dr. Hynek say? You're the authority. You know, just speak your mind. So he was far from putting out disinformation as much as he also would always, you know, lament, as he would say, I'm an old man in a hurry. And I just hope that I don't reach that point that I'm still struggling to come up with answers and still am working on this, still trying to unravel this mystery as Heineck was and still coming up empty handed. Uh, the bearer of uh, disinformation, no. I think he just became more frustrated, as you described, Chris, that he was coming up with a lack of information, lack of solution, lack of resolution. And I think he relied on us all the more to help him come up with, uh, you know, the answers that he was running out of time. And especially after he took ill at the end, he just became all the more frustrated that he was going to leave this world without any answers. Well, one of the things that's always kind of struck me, too, is is the progression and the evolution of his thinking towards the end. Um, I think Jacques Vallée may have finally got to him. He he was really looking at this as more of a paranormal sort of a subject as opposed to something, you know, more nuts and bolts uh, oriented. And he was really at the end uh, really examining all sorts of uh, out of the box sort of creative thinking and, and, and alternative theories about what what the whole thing represented in terms of its impact on the culture. And uh, he, he seemed to be really reaching out uh, because he was so frustrated. I think that that may have forced him to to go to places that he, as, a, as an astronomer, as a scientist, wouldn't, wouldn't have normally gone to. So much more to talk about, about, of course, the late J. Allen Hynek. Okay, the book is called Inside the Real Area 51 from Donald Schmidt and Thomas Carey. Donald Schmidt joins us. We'll talk more about Dr. Hynek's thinking in the latter part of his life, and it's something that he kind of confirmed to be in a very brief way when I interviewed him. So we'll have more to say about that. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, 
head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Hi, this is Eric Hamburg with Midas Resources Gold and Silver. Ever wonder why billionaires like Warren Buffett, John Paulson are dumping their shares of U.S. company stocks? Do they know something we don't? No investor wants to own stocks with falling profit margins and shrinking dividends. Is it possible a 1987-style market crash is coming? Are these investors aware of a massive correction of up to 90%? Call me, Eric Hamburg, at 800-686-2237, extension 120, and find out why gold and silver are the only true safe haven. With event-driven risks, such as volatility in the financial market and conflict in Syria and the Middle East, the sky is the limit for gold and silver. That's Eric Hamburg, 800 686 extension 120 and I'll send you a, a brochure explaining why gold and silver are the only way to preserve your purchasing power as a currency's value crumbles and gold being priced in dollars metals value will skyrocket again that's Eric Hamburg Midas Resources 800-686-2237 extension 120 Big Business has discovered the preparedness market and that makes it difficult to know where to go and who to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com is owned and operated by patriots just like you. Has the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more. MyPatriotSupply.com has old-fashioned values and the absolute best customer service in the industry. Look for the deal of the day. Unique, affordable survival supplies that fit anyone's budget. Get same-day shipping on all orders and free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927, 866-229-0927, or visit MyPatriotSupply.com for emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Shop with a name you know and a name you can trust. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com. Hello, I'm Steve Shank. Everybody's heard the statement that what you don't know can't hurt you. But truth is, what you don't know is the only thing that can hurt you. For example, you might not know how our country's wars can hurt you. Japanese radiation and the Gulf oil spill are destroying your seafood. People don't understand how America's 50-year worst drought is hurting them. Our natural disaster experience has proven relief organizations can't take care of the victims. And there's the huge question of how the government will feed all the people that it's promised to feed with no food. What if we made the whole country into one big neighborhood where we take care of each other by taking care of ourselves? Here's the plan. For every new EPAC 60-day food supply that you order, eFoods Direct will send a 7-day food supply to each of two families in your name, free of charge. Go to eFoodsDirect.com or call 800-876-0871. eFoodsDirect.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
So we all remember that very short scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where Dr. Hynek is looking over the scene where E.T. lands. Seven seconds. He got seven seconds. Seven seconds. Screen time. Legendary. Inside the real Area 51, Donald Schmidt, co-author, he worked at the Center for UFO Studies with Dr. Hynek. And to summarize it, and now you can expand on it, it appeared that Dr. Hynek was more open to a possible 4D or unusually paranormal explanation to UFOs. He had gone beyond the original ET theory. Keep in mind, it was the Socorro, New Mexico case from April of 1964 that really turned him because he was starting to see that it was more and more nuts and bolts. In fact, the very last time that I even had dinner with Dr. Hynek before he moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. And I will never forget his pounding his fist on the table when he stated, Don, it's smacking more and more of nuts and bolts. Now, that was at a time when he himself was getting into the crashed saucer retrieval cases. He was pushing Len Stringfield, who was really the father of such information, such stories, who started to really collect whether it was Roswell or Aztec or Kingman or Farmington or Kecksburg or other such accounts. These tales, these tall tales of not only UFO sightings, but actual crash retrieval cases. And Heineck saw this as an opportunity to finally not only get some hardcore information, but possibly get to see. He felt that maybe and finally, if we get to the right people, kind of as Goldwater demanding of Curtis LeMay or requesting to see the physical evidence, that if Heineck could build a strong enough case that before it was too late, he might finally also get to see some physical evidence. So he pushed Len Stringfield repeatedly, who was maintaining his vow of silence, you know, that he kept, you know, all of his names confidential to this day. They're still confidential. And Heineck would meet with Len over and over again. And I was at some of those meetings. And I'll never forget one such meeting at the Midland Hotel in Chicago. Alan finally leaving the motel room saying, Len, I feel sorry for you that you're, you know, carrying such a burden, but that you just flatly refuse to share it with even someone such as me. So Alan then suggested one last meeting. One last, if I bring a third party in, if I bring someone else who is totally beyond reproach, someone with just the utmost credibility, will you at least reconsider working with us? Again, he was a man in a hurry. He was an old man in a hurry trying to at least have you know some final evidence. Most people in the UFO community don't even know who this third party was. But it was a late Neil Armstrong. Armstrong had actually agreed with Heineck that if he could receive the names and they could actually interview, they could actually go out and try to confirm some of these stories, that it would give Heineck this one final bargaining chip that he could go back to the Air Force and say, what about this case? What about this witness? What about, you know, what you have in your possession? Could you at least give me a glimpse before it's too late? 
So I think that's the primary reason that failing that effort, that he then became all-encompassing. He then sought out psychics and people who were into, as you mentioned, parallel universes and interdimensional travel. And that's why even Jacques Vallée started to look like, if there's anybody that can give me any answers, please. And he was, as the days dwindled down, just hoping that barring any final phone call or letter from the Pentagon, from even the President of the United States, Dr. Hynek, can we have a private meeting? Can we show you? Can we tell you something? You've been a good colleague, a good soldier, a good consultant all these years. Let's give you some closure. Let's give you some answers. Never happened. It sadly never happened. Uh, Don, there's a one really amazing chapter in your book that, that, that really stands out, at least in my mind. I'm, I'm a person like uh, many people that really want uh, to look at, at some sort of physical evidence of actual non-human entities. And your chapter 20, the jawbone that spoke Martian, was very, very compelling because we do have what is purportedly to be a mold from the jaw of a supposed recovered alien. And uh, why do the story of John Mosgrove? And uh, I found this really, really interesting. And I think our listeners will, too. Yes, Mosgrove had uh, actually served at Wright-Patterson and then as, as a dental technician at the Aeromed Center. And then he would go on to work at the Veterans Administration Hospital just outside of Dayton. And he'd be, he was working on the fourth floor of the, uh, the, the dental clinic. And he was uh, approached by his boss, one of the uh, technicians at the lab, who brought in this bone, this lower mandible, this mandible bone that he needed to have a cast made, a relief made from this bone. And that he would be by, he'd be back the next day to pick it up. And he immediately took it to the sink because typically you would wash whatever blood, saliva, residue, whatever biological matter may still be on, on the bone. And there was none. He could see that it uh, had long dried out, that it was something that had aged for some time. But what truly struck him was that it, it in no way resembled a human jawbone, a human mandible. Uh, first of all, it had no teeth. It had nothing that suggested it ever had teeth. There were a few posts, what looked like wooden posts, that would have simply been to hold it open, you know, keep it in an open position. But uh, nothing suggesting teeth, and it was smaller, and it came to a point. So it didn't resemble any animal that he had ever seen as well. So he would cast the mold the next day, his uh, boss would pick it up, and he would hand him the, the uh, replica, and his boss then would take the relief, would take uh, as far as the actual cast uh, relief, and he would crumble it up, and he would toss it into the waste paper basket and said, you are not to say another word about this. You did not have anything to do as far as with this project. I don't want to ever hear you bring this up again. Well, he waited a few moments after he left, and he started to follow. 
He followed him from some distance, and he watched from the lobby as he went outside, and he met with two officers who were waiting out in the parking lot. You know what? We're going to break this story now and finish it in our next segment. Very good. All right. We're going to continue this story. It's a cliffhanger, folks, in our next segment with Donald Schmidt. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Great news, pure water lovers. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy byproducts from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com and all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters for the love of clean water. Nutritious food is real body armor. It builds muscle, burns fat, improves digestion, and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs. Did you know the U.S. government banned the hemp plant from growing in the United States and classified it as a Schedule One drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant? People have been confused about this plant for over 80 years, and many still don't know what hemp is. So now you know hemp is not marijuana, and marijuana is not hemp. They are different varieties of the same species. Hemp USA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at 
ImpUSA.org. My name's Bruno. I'm 52 years old. I've tried different protein powders over the years, and they've all tasted pretty bad. I tried One World Whey and found it to be delicious. After 10 weeks on One World Whey, my wife commented, you have more muscles and you're leaner than when you were 20 years old. My body has changed dramatically. I'm a cyclist. Normally, I'll ride two days on and take two days off. After being on One World Whey, I rode 10 days in a row in over 100-degree heat, and then I take another two servings of One World Whey and then work out at the gym for another hour and a half. I just couldn't believe these results. My normal muscle tightness and soreness after working out are virtually gone. Don't take my word for it. One World Whey comes in single servings. Just give it a try. For a health and taste sensation you'll love, call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit oneworldway.com. That's oneworldway.com. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we're talking to the co-author of Inside the Real Area 51, Donald Schmidt, a fascinating story where this guy goes out into the parking lot, I gather? Yes, the head technician takes the original bone mandible and this this, uh, newly cast replica, and he hands it to two officers who immediately take both and place them in a briefcase. They shake hands, and Mosgrove, who is watching from the waiting room on the lower level through the glass door recognizes a colonel that he had served under from Wright-Patterson. So to him, it became apparent that they had snuck this relic, this artifact, this bone piece from Wright-Patterson. Right. And they and, wanted... And just, just let's put this into a time perspective. This is 1979, so we're talking 19, 32 yes. years down the road. Yes, correct. And Mosgrove then realizing, my God, it's even more important than I thought it was. I just thought it was a unique specimen. And here it's somebody at Wright-Patterson who is retrieving this. So he goes back to his lab and quickly takes the crushed relief from the wastepaper basket and he reassembles it. He puts it back together and he casts another mold of it which he then would secure in a bank security box over the next 30 years before he would turn it over to uh, the, the reporter I had mentioned earlier from NBC News, from the NBC affiliate in Dayton, the late Carl Day. And then Day would keep it secured up until the time he would die in 2010. And... We received a replica, a re, uh, an actual mold that is now on display at the museum in Roswell with the full account, as you can read it in the book. So it's been tested by six separate paleontologists. And in each case, they conclude, they determine that it is not human. It is not primate. It is not of any animal. And as one stated from the University of New York, that it was not human, that it was something from off the planet. So, again, interesting connection that it appears to have come from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. 
Right, and the photographs in the book are, are really do uh, make you scratch your head because it's uh, if it's real in the story, uh, if at face value, if the story is is you know real, uh, I don't know. It's very compelling, but if if the story is real, I mean, this could be some really interesting uh, physical evidence that we could look at, and uh, um, we do have some questions, Don, from our uh, question bank at forum.theparacast.com. And the first one I'm going to ask uh, is actually a series of questions uh, from one of our moderators on the forum. And he says, uh, Don, I like to ask this of many in the field, and it is simply, do you believe in a behind-the-scenes control group whose role it is to keep the UFO reality a secret and to deal with related events as when they come up? And see, he what he's saying is that, that the members can't work forever, so new blood always has to come in uh, all the time. And if Truman or Eisenhower had set this in motion, MJ-12 or some like organization, uh, successive presidents obviously wouldn't have a need to know, as we've discussed. He thinks it's hard to explain how such a group could, for instance, get quickly on the ground in the event of a UFO crash or otherwise cover something up. Yes, yes. Basically, what he's saying is is this thing has to be, obviously, over the decades, has to be self-perpetuating. So where do you fall uh, down on a a MJ-12 or some sort of control group? Well, I'm a skeptic on the documents. I but I believe that the um, MJ-12 documents are disinformation, that they do have a smattering of truth, but then there are clearly things that are not truthful. The, the format, I, I mean, that's a, that's a separate show. But certainly there was an oversight committee appointed just to ensure whatever the agenda, whatever the policies were to transcend the entire event at that time. The, the problem with presidents, they're walking the street in four to eight years. So even, you know, albeit their commander in chief, that projects have to be maintained. They have to continue. Uh, I, I always cite the example of General Leslie Grove, who was uh, in charge of the Manhattan Project with the development of the atomic bomb. And that even Robert Oppenheimer used to always complain about who were all these other people with him, these civilians and these other officers. He was kind of paranoid about the fact that he always arrived with this other team, these other people. And I believe that there was a team already in place in the event of an atomic accident, that they had the bomb, that these were precisely the very people that came in and were activated to take charge of the recovery at Roswell. They were the doctors, the nurses, the the pilots, the officers, all these people that were brought in to take charge of the incident. So it wasn't a case of they weren't available, that they had to quickly put together such personnel, but they already were there. It's substitute the UFO recovery in place of an atomic accident. To me, it's just that simple. The problem is, has this group existed throughout, you know, the last 66 years. I think we've all been conditioned. We've all been indoctrinated to disbelieve, you know, the subject. We all have this knee-jerk reaction. Whenever we hear anything UFO-related, uh, it's, it's, it's a taboo topic to the media. The old order has not passed it down to the new. I think most have died with the realization that there is something to it. And unfortunately, the new, new order, in many ways, does not have access to the true data, and as a result, I think it, it too gets buried beneath the multiple levels, beneath Wright-Patterson or Area 51 or ever anybody believes the truth is still being hidden. And because they can't break the code, they can't find the on button, 
We may never. I, I'm, I'm one of those who believes there is never going to be any disclosure. It's, it's, it's forever buried, unfortunately. Yeah. How can you disclose that you're more confused than uh, even the public uh, could possibly imagine? Exactly. Well, a question, too, from Gogs Mackay, who's one of our moderators at forum.theparacast.com, where you, too, listeners, can sign up on the forum and, and ask questions of our guests. His second question has to do with the fabled Blue Room, or as it's become to, I guess, kind of erroneously be known as Hangar 18. It's, he says, basically a rumored area at Wright Path that houses all UFO-related stuff, if it exists, must occupy space over or underground. I'd heard someone got recent plans for the whole base, and there was quite an extensive underground component, some having been added on in the not-too-distant past. And... You go into actually uh, quite a bit of uh, depth uh, about this particular subject, but he brings up something very interesting, and I, I think you address this in the book. People have to take out the garbage. The place needs to be cleaned. Uh, the, the HVAC system has to be working. People are having to uh, have access to this particular very highly restricted area. Why don't you describe some of the source and, and very compelling sources that you've come up with in the book that do Give us a tantalizing look at what that particular facility is, and it's not actually Hangar 18. It's, it's a different complex. It's called Building 18, and it was at one time connected by a tunnel to Hangar 23, which is uh, you know, right next door. And if you were to go to Hangar 23 today, you'd see it's all freshly poured concrete as far as the floor, so it's been sealed off that that underground vault has been closed off. And yet, Building 18 consists of Building 18A and B and C and so on. When Heineck, for example, continued as a consultant to controversial uh, aerial phenomena, as his job description was, post-Blue Book from 1970 uh, into 1974, he worked out of that building. He worked out of foreign technology. And as once was uh, said to us at Wright Pat, that if you think that the Pentagon is the military's attic, that Wright Patterson is the military's basement. Sounds like that, the end scene of the Raiders of the Lost Ark where they hide away. And interesting oh. that you should mention that. And I'll have to do the break now so we can mention it even further. Donald Schmidt joins Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. 
First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Attention homeschoolers, teachers, and students of all ages. Now there's a way to learn English grammar using the Holy Bible. Sacred Grammar is a unique book that teaches all of the fundamentals of English grammar using Bible verses. Affordable and simple to use, it's a superb supplement and a great teacher's aid. Whether your focus is teaching children at home, strengthening your own writing skills, or just speaking proper English, Sacred Grammar offers all the tools you'll ever need. Learn to use words through His Word. For more information, go to sacredgrammar.com at sacredgrammar.com. In times of disaster, Internet and mobile networks will go dark. A wealth of online information will be completely inaccessible. Now, imagine the most extensive survival and disaster preparedness library ever created with information for every possible scenario still available to you without online access. That's the survival key. Ben Franklin said it best. By failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Get your survival key at GetSurvivalKey.com. Quite literally, the key to your survival. GetSurvivalKey.com. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Hi, my name is Scott Fuchs, teacher and rowing coach for over 14 years. I was sluggish, overweight, on prescription drugs, and only 30-something. Fortunately, I was referred to Dr. Z, and happy to say Dr. Z's all-natural protocols over a consistent course resolved my health issues. I'm in the best shape of my life, and most importantly, on zero medications. I'm Dr. Stanowski, author of Evology, trained as a primary care physician, surgical manipulation under anesthesia, expert in nutrition, diet, weight loss, immune system, and I specialize in chiropractic. My 15 years of professional experience has taught me the four keys to vibrant health, a balanced muscular skeletal system, an integrated nervous system, a flowing lymphatic system, and a body filled with over 90 essential nutrients. This has been a secret too long. Actualize your potential, reverse disease. Call me, Dr. Z. 201-945-1177, evolveyourself.com. This is Kurt Southerby, author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, Donald Schmidt, co-author of Inside the Real, Area 51. And again, with all my cinematic references, and I point out this is popular culture. So things that are actually happening, you know, 
look, this is what's going on. This is all the stuff that's happened in our society. We mirror that in our movies. So, of course, I mentioned very briefly that the closing scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark for Indiana Jones and his girlfriend, they leave this building and then they take the Ark of the Covenant and they bury it in a dusty basement. Or maybe this is a Warehouse 13, which is the sci-fi series. So do we consider maybe that down there at Wright-Patterson Base, there is a Warehouse 13? There was, at least up until the early 80s, as we spell out throughout the book. Uh, you, uh, you know, we always point out that Hollywood hasn't come up with an original idea in the last 50, 60 years. They tend to reflect, you know, the, the, uh, con- the, the present culture. Even prior to the, the summer, the wave of UFO sightings in 1947, whether it was Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers, you know, alien spacecraft were still depicted as rocket ships. And it was, wasn't, it was only uh, after the flying disks and the very term flying saucer was coined in the summer of 47 that the movies started to reflect, you know, the flying saucers. Well, anyway, at the, at the end of the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Ark of the Covenant is lowered into that crate and it's nailed shut and stamped top secret and it's wheeled into that hangar, Warehouse 13, as you mentioned, you know, full of thousands of other hangars. I always mention I brought that up to Dr. Heineck because uh, at the time they were discussing the possibility of doing a sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So I suggested the next time that he should be meeting with Spielberg, ask him that question. You know, what was he inferring? What was he suggesting with that, that closing scene? And months would pass, and I would get a phone call from, from Dr. Heineck, and he had just had breakfast in Hollywood with Spielberg that morning. And he said, Don, you're absolutely correct. Stephen, as he would call him, Stephen said that if they should have ever recovered remnants of a flying saucer, of a UFO, that's precisely what they would do if they couldn't figure out the technology. All they could do is crate it up and hide it, bury it for all time, you know, to come. Well, then, as we remember, in his last Indiana Jones movie, in The Crystal Skull, that's the opening scene where they go to the hangar, and sure enough, that's where they have the, the locker with uh, one of the bodies, you know, recovered from Roswell in 1947. So it picked up where that first Indiana Jones had left off. So again, Hollywood mirroring, you know, reflecting the, 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 the current culture. So was there, is there, there was, there was such an underground facility at Wright Pat. Well, that's the question then. So maybe E.T., the bodies, maybe the spaceship from Roswell, if they did recover that, it's being kept on ice, it's dusty, moldy, and they gave up looking at it years ago. Or, as one of the officers described to it, and you brought it up, one of the great things, and maybe that's where such a facility as Area 51 where the only surveillance you truly have is via satellite. And as much as it may be underground, you have total containment. You have no fear of uh, information leaking out. The problem that developed with Wright Pat is that you're in the middle of a city. And as one of the officers said to us, they had a hell of a time keeping the information 
as far as bringing in materials through downtown. They were basically bringing materials, and I'm not talking UFO. I'm talking about secret technology, whatever they were experimenting with, that they were basically conducting their research late at night because it was the only way that they could do anything as far as under the cloak of secrecy of being in the middle of a populated area. And I would suggest the same for the same reason that they cleared everything out 30 years ago, that they just found it more and more impossible to keep, you know, their deep, dark secrets, that the next Barry Goldwater was going to come knocking. And they could honestly say, there's nothing here. We don't have anything here. And they wouldn't be lying about it. A good way to get plausible deniability, huh? Exactly. So, so, okay, so we have maybe four and a half minutes left for the segment. So let me ask you the deep, dark question, the difficult question of you and your co-author. How do we prove any of this? I mean, there's a lot of fascinating information in your book, a lot of thought-provoking information, but if there's something over there at Wright Pat, it's still secreted away. If it's being kept at some kind of subsurface level, we can't get to it. So what do we do next? We continue to seek out the physical evidence. We're having, for example, our fourth archaeological dig at the Roswell Debris Field just coming up. And so we keep performing our own due diligence as we realize we're racing with the undertaker. We're running out of the World War II generation as evidenced by the loss of even Dr. Jesse Marcel Jr. just a few weeks ago. We're now losing the children of the eyewitnesses. And as a result, all we can continue to do is seek out the physical evidence. Find the Bill Brazo Juniors who still may have a cigar box hidden someplace. Some attic, some basement that still has, after all these years, used a piece of material as a bookmark. And the family isn't even aware that they're sitting on the find of the millennium. We're the ones that are going to continue knocking on the doors. We're going to be the Barry Goldwaters who beyond just Let me see. Well, we know we're going to have the doors slammed in our faces. I was denied, you know, access the last time. I just wanted to bring a film crew to write Pat. But we're going to be the ones still tracking down every surviving individual. We're going to continue seeking out, you know, the evidence that may still be at the site, that may still wash to the surface after that next rainstorm. And if anyone is going to do it, it's, it has to be us. We're the proactive investigators, and I don't see anyone else lining up to do it. That's a big problem right there, getting the younger people interested in following through, because when we're gone, as we will be gone, unless we all live forever, who is going to pick up the axe or the cudgel, or who is going the to gauntlet. follow through? Pardon? They're not going to pick up the gauntlet. No, you're correct. Uh, there's no money in it. There's no future in it. It's one of the things whenever we're approached by younger people, the subject has become so complicated and so diverse in opinion. And those the, the hardcore believers who just, you know, well, why are you people wasting all your time, you know, s- you know searching for physical evidence? Uh, you know, it's unnecessary. 
They've been here. They're living amongst us. They've been abducting people. We have all the answers right under our noses. And I was a skeptic. And it's become a conviction. It's not a belief. And as Dr. Heineck schooled us very well in that when you conduct your own research, no one can take that away from you. But sadly, as you, as you pointed out, Chris and Gene, there are no young people lining up to uh, be passed uh, the torch that if we don't finish it, I'm afraid that it's going to die with us as well. Donald yeah. Schmidt, please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff. Well, the, the book is certainly available at Barnes & Noble and, uh, of course, Amazon.com. Uh, our website is www.roswellinvestigator.com oneword.com, and we continue our efforts. Uh, at least we are providing the testimony, the eyewitness accounts of the witnesses as they pass on that we represent their best information, and we will continue as long as we are alive. Until we come up with a resolution, we're going to continue to leave no stone unturned. And Chris leaves no stone unturned on his site, OurStrangePlanet.com. That's OurStrangePlanet.com. And you can find us over at TheParacast.com or go to Forum.TheParacast.com. And one more thing, you can find us on Twitter, where we're known as TheParacast. Donald Schmidt, thanks for joining us this week on The Paracast. Thank you, Gene and Chris. I enjoyed it very much. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.